0: Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on
1: social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, and to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: Thanks be to God. Y'all can take a seat. Thanks, Shannon. All right, you people that I love, I've got a a challenging message. Ethan, hi, buddy. Good to see you. Wow. Um, I've got a challenging message this morning that's from my heart. I've been excited to preach it and share this with you and studying the scriptures and thinking about all these things this week. I pray this sermon blesses you. Today in the church calendar is called Trinity Sunday. And the doctrine that uh, God is completely and truly one while simultaneously three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a central revelation of the divine mystery. But something that wasn't fully known until the incarnation of Jesus, until at Pentecost, the Spirit fell on everyone in the church. And the way that all of this was revealed, bit by bit, the curtain was slowly drawn back, is known by a term called progressive revelation. God gave us hints along the way, and as time went on, it revealed more and more of God's self uh, to His people. There was a time when we didn't know to call God Father. There was a time when we didn't know of the Son. There was a time in which the Spirit did not indwell God's people. And though we still peer into mysteries, like if you try to explain the doctrine of the Trinity to anyone, you're probably going to commit a heresy along the way (laughs) because you're either going to compromise the unity, the oneness of God, or you're going to compromise the threeness of God, the individuality of the persons within the Godhead. But nonetheless, in the doctrine of the Trinity, we name the mystery that has matured in our understanding through God's revelation to the church. And on this Trinity Sunday, this morning, what I want to do is, is, you know, we've completed the study of the book of Revelation. We studied Pentecost last week. Before we move into a study of Galatians chapter 5, where we'll be for most of the summer, what what I want to do today is to call each of us to move toward maturity in a message that I'm calling Spirituality for the Phases of Life. So, uh, there were probably numerous things in the text that stood out to you. Some of you felt relieved that he said, don't be addicted to much wine. You're like, oh, great. I could be addicted to a little bit. Is that what it's saying? But in this text from Titus, Paul is exhorting this young pastor to address some of the people in his church who he describes like this in uh, chapter, uh, verse 1 of, uh, you know what I mean. Verse 10, chapter 1. He said, for there are many rebellious people. He's talking about the folks in his church. There are many rebellious people. They are full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those among the circumcision group. The church was Jew and Gentile, and especially those who advocated that the Gentiles needed to become Jews first, to become real Christians. He said those folks were full of meaningless talk and deception. Paul goes on in verse 12 of chapter 1 to call pretty much everyone from the town where Titus is a pastor uh, gluttons liars, and brutes. And evidently, this was their reputation because even people from that town were like, yeah, that's basically what we are. Paul is saying, uh, you need to teach people how to live well. As chapter two begins, he draws a line in the sand and he addresses Titus and, and says a message of contrast. In contrast to how the people in your church behave and how the people in your town behave, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Okay, now if you pick up a doctrine book, you're probably guessing you're going to learn something about the deity of Jesus or the dual natures of Christ. You're going to learn something about justification, but he goes a very different direction in verses 1 through 15 of Titus 2. Instead, what he does is he teaches how men and women are meant to conduct themselves in the various stages of life in which they find themselves. Not only stages, but stations of life. He addresses younger and and, uh, older men and younger and older women. And he even addresses slaves and how they're meant to behave. And what's really striking about this is by setting up this as a doctrinal conversation, what's really striking is that practically speaking, our doctrine is most clearly exhibited not by what creeds we recite, but by the way we conduct ourselves in the various stages of life. Practically speaking, the way that we live weighs more than the things that we say are important to us or what we say we believe. There's a spiritual writer in the 16th century. His name was St. John of the Cross. He's most famous for the language about the dark night of the soul. Some of you have perhaps heard of that the idea of someone going through the dark night of the soul. But he wrote about the three phases of life for the disciple. It really feels like three phases of life period, but I like how he framed it in a discipleship conversation. The three phases of life. I came across this in a really short book called Domestic Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. It's like 50 or 60 pages long um, about how your home can be a place to grow you in Christ. But in this book, he, he lays out uh, each of these three phases of life for the disciple. And with each phase, as I talk through it, I want you to be thinking, okay, how would I naturally characterize what this phase of life is all about? I'm going to guess that in all three cases, the way that uh, you would characterize it and the way that St. John of the Cross characterized it are a bit different. So as I go through each of them, think about how would I naturally characterize these years? And the thing I want you to think about is looking at each of these phases of life, ask yourself the question, how am I being invited to carry my cross as a disciple in this phase of life? Okay. You ready? Okay. I'm looking forward to this. The first one uh, we could call essential discipleship. Phase one is essential discipleship. The goal of phase one is getting our lives together. People are like, do any of us ever graduate from phase one? (laughs) Phase one is all about getting our lives together. This phase stretches from birth through childhood and puberty into the adult years until we launch from our families of origin and create a life of our own. So this is a big chunk of life for some people bigger than others. From birth through childhood, puberty, until you are of adult years and you separate from your family of origin and you create a life of your own. Now, some of the big questions that we're asking in this phase of essential discipleship who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to live? With whom will I share life? For some people, that might mean marriage, but there's, there's companionship of all kinds at all stages of life. We're asking these questions. Who am I going to share my life with? What am I going to do? Where am I going to live? The goal of this phase of life and the goal of this phase of discipleship is taking responsibility for oneself. So I have four children ranging from 15 months to almost 11, and there's quite a spectrum of my children's abilities to take responsibility for themselves. The goal is as they, as they grow up, and especially as they get to those years where they might naturally be moving out of our house, that they are increasing in responsibility, and I'm doing less and less for them. Emily and I are doing less and less for them. Our goal is to work ourselves out of a job. A responsibility in that first phase is to learn to take responsibility for oneself. The challenge of this phase is what I'm calling the challenge of uncertainty. Well, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know who I'm going to spend my life with. I don't know where I'm going to live. And it's the unknown that creates the context for our growth and the invitation toward responsibility. Now uh, there are some people who, who really practically never move on from this phase, and they may have some good reasons. There may be extenuating circumstances. There's been illness or injury, or there's been trauma of some kind. A card that's been, a hand that's been dealt to them that has meaningfully uh, like impaired their ability to take responsibility for their lives and create a life of their own. There are other people who never move on from this phase or they move on from this phase years or perhaps even decades after they should. This is a, a term that some of y'all will have heard is extended adolescence, being an adolescent long beyond the time when we should. This comes from uh, Senator Ben Sass in his book, The Vanishing American Adult. He says, Peter Pan is a story, what's going on here? Peter Pan is a story about a boy who refuses to grow up. We often misremember this story as a cheery fairy tale. In the end, Peter of J.M. Berry's classic is not at all a commendable hero. He's selfish and short-sighted. I don't want to go to school and learn solemn things, Peter tells us. I don't want to be a man. He ultimately cannot remember his past and thus learns nothing from it. Wendy describes to him, you remember Captain Hook, your old, your old arch enemy? He says, I forget everybody that I kill. He learns nothing from his past. Though Peter never grows up, each of the lost boys does. So does Wendy. She has a daughter, Jane, who visits but eventually flees from Neverland. And Jane has a daughter, and it goes on. Everyone moves on except for Pan. Peter never changes. He never grows up. Living only in the present isn't freedom. Living only in the present isn't even human, if you think about it. Humans, unlike any other animal on the planet, remember the past. We understand our nature, and we try to build on both of them. We are an aspirational species. We look to the future. We need to move on from phase one with our eyes toward the future. Now, many of us struggle with some elements of phase one for our entire lives, but for most of us, there will come a time when we can say phase one is basically achieved. We can tick that, uh, tick that box. We can move on to the next phase. The next phase is really greatly named generative discipleship. To be generative or a generative force is to create more stuff, to generate, to multiply more life. In in generative discipleship, the focus is giving our lives away. So phase one as a disciple is gaining a life. Phase two as a disciple in some ways is giving our life away. Now, if you're thinking of the words of Jesus, you know, they are kind of flip-flopped, but follow me. You know what I mean? The the moment of generative discipleship happens when you take responsibility for your life and you decide, I am responsible for me. And this stretches until we get to our retiring years, define those however you will. Now, this phase of generative discipleship is less about what am I going to do with my life and it's more about how am I going to make the world a better place? The goal of this phase is to take responsibility for one's contributions. Now that I have taken responsibility for my life, I'm going to take responsibility to do something with it. I'm responsible for my contributions. And the challenge in this phase, looking at the median age in this room, many will relate to this. The challenge is the challenge of capacity. I've never been more needed professionally. I've never been more needed personally. You know, expenses are going up. Income is going down. It's it's a challenge of capacity. There's not enough of us to go around. But the mature in this generative season of life, season of life for a disciple, ask questions like How am I going to improve the world? How do I remain faithful to the things that I've said are important? A really important question for all of us in this phase is how do I sustain myself so that I don't make a destructive choice or burn out along the way? And the big question is how do I give myself over for others in a way that's more generous and more pure? Now, I find St. John of the Cross's characterization of this phase really interesting because I think this one in particular feels very different from the way that we are trained as Americans to think about this. It's different that many of us probably quietly and subconsciously might characterize this phrase as something about like, it's establishing ourselves. It's making a name for ourselves. It's accumulating wealth and then having the opportunity to enjoy leisure. It's pursuing success. That, that might be the phrase that many of us would come to mind in thinking about this season of life. But St. John of the Cross says, for the disciple, this season of life is not about chasing a life of luxury, but it's about giving your life away for the kingdom of God and for the sake of others. Giving your life away to one's family, to one's church, to causes that are important, to upholding institutions. And this lasts until you reach those years, we could call the retiring years. Phases one and two, essential discipleship, generative discipleship. And in this last phase of discipleship, if the Lord blesses us with health and years after our retiring years, we might move into this third that, phase that St. John calls radical discipleship. And in radical discipleship, the kind of questions we're asking begin to shift. We now begin to ask, how can I now live so that when I die, my death will be an optimal blessing? to my family and my church and my world? In view of the now limited years that I have ahead of me, how can I now live so that my death, when it comes, will be an optimal blessing to the people who are most important to me? How do I live the last years of my life so that when I die, it'll bless my loved ones just as my life once did? Uh, the, the questions we're asking, I've, I've said here, the, the goal of this phase is preparing to die well. And the responsibility that we have in this phase is the responsibility of our legacy. The challenge that we have in this phase is the challenge of generosity. And you think, you, you get older, you're thinking, I've been giving all of my life, and I'm being asked to give more. That's the life of a disciple. At no point do we put down our cross. Jesus said, Luke nine twenty three, if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We're invited to carry our cross at each stage of our life journey. Now, some of the challenges of aging are, are tremendous. It's, you think about dealing with the fragility of our bodies and our minds. Think about grieving changes in the world. My grandmother Marie worshipped with us until she passed at age 97. And my grandma saw a lot in 97 years. And there was a lot that she mourned about our world, I can imagine. As if the Lord gives us years, we experience the loss of people that we love. There's a kind of disequilibrium that can come with that. I appreciate how Gordon Livingston, in his book, Too Soon Old, Too Late Smart, says, in spite of this, it is a primary task throughout their lives of parents to convey to the young a sense of optimism. One of the most important things that we can pass on to the generations that follow us as we age at all stages is to pass on to the next generations a sense of optimism. Whatever other obligations we have to our children, a conviction that we can achieve happiness amid the losses and uncertainties that life contains is the greatest gift that can pass from one generation to the next. Like all the values we wish to teach our children, honesty, commitment, empathy, respect, hard work, the supreme importance of hope is taught by example. In this last phase, we're preparing to die well. In this last phase, we're prayerfully wielding all of the influences and all of the resource and all of the wisdom you've gained to bless the people who will outlive you. And there are innumerable ways that a person can do this. I hope that some of you have been blessed by the way that generations that preceded you died well. One of the ways you can do it is to have all of the conversations that you can and need to while you're living, to write the letters, to make the phone calls, to look through the eyes of faith and with hope on what God is doing now and tell the younger generations what you see. We need to hear it. Practically speaking, make a will and a trust so that your, your death is logistically easier for the people that you love and in a way that can bless the people and the institutions that are important to you. So you get older and we think about the years that God has giving us, given us. Refuse to put yourself on the bench. Be an encourager. Be somebody's biggest fan. Be a teacher. As long as the Lord gives you the ability and the years lean in God will have mercy on you as you do it. These three phases, essential discipleship, generative discipleship, radical discipleship. And as we zoom out and look at them, I want you to consider that in each phase of life, there are challenges. There's the challenge of uncertainty. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. There's the challenge of capacity. I, don't, I know what I'm going to do. I just can't do it now. And then there's the challenge of generosity. Am I going to go out with a bang, go out being a blessing to other people? In each generation, there are challenges. In each generation, each phase, there are invitations to carry our cross. Paul, in talking to this community of, you know, sluggards and uh, to the Titus as pastoring, says, uh, you know, to the young men, young men, be self-controlled, control yourself young women live in such a way that no one in seeing your life could malign the word of god they see that the way that you live and they think like i'm on board like what they're up to is a good thing to the older men paul says tell them to be worthy of respect and an example in the faith we're watching you be an example to older women he says be reverent teachers had a teacher that you revere. Paul says, older women be like that in the community of the church. Now, what's great about our church is we have all of these generations represented. We have people in each of these phases. When we started five years ago, it's been five years that I've been working on Cornerstone. It's amazing. Uh, We started with five couples my age, five couples my parents age. And in many ways, we've grown like that. Though the older people tell me we're a very, very young church. But thinking about the people in our church in each of these phases of life, I have a couple things I'd like to say to you to encourage you with and to challenge you with. I'd say to those who are in that first phase of your journey as a disciple and your first phase of life, I I would urge you to take responsibility for your life and to refuse to be a Peter Pan. Now, maybe you say, I didn't have good examples. I don't know how. Find some good examples. Our church is full of them. Or even, you know, you could also just become the example that you didn't have. Now, maybe in college you're used to the college life and you go and you get drunk on the weekends and you're used to that. That time is now past. It's not appropriate for you anymore. It's time to take responsibility for your life and move into Adulthood. Maybe you're sleeping with your boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend. That's outside God's best for you. Stop or make a commitment and marry that person. Seek good wisdom and marry that person. Now, maybe in this phase of life, you're waiting until you get married. You think, when I get married, then I'll, you know, hop into the life of a church or I'll give myself to important causes. Don't wait for that. Become that person now. Maybe you spend too much time uh, playing video games or looking at screens, withdrawing from commitments. Stop it. Lean in. Take responsibility for your life. Get a job. Get involved. Be ridiculously responsible for moving into adulthood. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a kid, I talked like a kid. I thought like a kid. I reasoned like a kid. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. There's an act of the will there. I'm leaving those things behind, and I'm moving into adulthood. I'm taking responsibility for my life. Now, for those of us who are in that second phase of life, what St. John of the Cross called generative discipleship and beyond, this phase of life is all about us giving our lives away all about giving our lives away. And some of you are like, yeah, and I've got nothing left for myself. That's how you know you're in the phase. The important question for you is how do I sustain myself in this phase of life? How do I find the friendships? How do I find the rhythms and the rituals that are going to help me make it? This phase of life is about giving ourselves away. I emphasize this point because as Americans, we are culturally conditioned to believe that this phase of life is, is ultimately about accumulation and competition, and leisure on the other side of it. And I would just say to you to push back against the American ethos, to push back against the American ideals of status-seeking and the rat race of social competition. Those of you who have children, don't curse your children with a lifetime of anxiety by training them to believe that they must be elite at everything and hot all the time. Life is more than good grades so that you can get into a good college, so that you can have a good job, so that you can have a life of leisure. Give yourself instead to seeking the kingdom of God and giving your life away. Develop sustainable rhythms, build real friendships and not just Instagram or superficial friendships that can help sustain you and hold you up along the way. In this phase of life, as in all phases of life, you've got really important work to do. Do it. We need you to do it. Okay, you've heard of the Proverbs 31 woman. Have you ever heard of the Proverbs 31 man? Okay, this is a great text. It's an invitation for all of us. Uh, Proverbs 31, the very beginning of that chapter. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers. This is motherly advice. This is what mom says Do not spend your strength on women. We're talking about in a licentious kind of way, in a negative kind of way, okay? Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. It's not for kings, Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine. This is the vision of leisure. It's not for kings to do that, not for rulers to crave beer lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. In other words, this king has been endowed with authority to rule in a way that leads to the flourishing of others. There's important work to do. So, so don't, don't abscond that responsibility with a life of leisure. So Let beer be for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. But you... Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and fairly judge and defend the rights of the poor and needy. Got work to do. And for those, all of us, Lord willing, will enter that third phase. Some of us are approaching it, some of us may be in it. For those of us who are approaching or in this third phase, I would ask you to show us what real-life saints look like, not just the folks we read about in books. Show us what real-life normal saints look like. Tell us why you're hopeful when you look at the world and when you look at us. Help us to dream and not give to despair. Men, show us what it means to be temperate. Show us what it means to be worthy of respect. Show us how to conduct yourself in a way that's self-controlled and sound in the faith and love and endurance. Women, show us what a reverent and honest and meaningful life looks like. Teach us to be wise. Steward your life and experiences and resources in a way that your death will be like St. John of the Cross said, like the blood and water that flowed out of the side of Jesus on the cross. It was a fountain of blessing to those who lived. I love this passage from Psalm 92, thinking about this last phase of life. It says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Okay, here's verse 14. Listen, they will still bear fruit in old age. Lord, may we bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. For all of us in each phase of life that the Lord gives us sound doctrine, calls us to live in such a way that in every way we will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. And then Paul goes on to say, he said, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And you might say, John, I despise you for this message. And I would say, you can't. It's in the Bible. You're not allowed to. It says, don't despise me. I want you to consider in whatever, whatever phase of life you're in right now, I want you to consider how are you being invited to carry your cross? How are you being invited to take responsibility for yourself? How are you being invited to take responsibility for your contributions, for your legacy? How are you being called to grow through the challenges of uncertainty and capacity and generosity and consider, is my life different Is my life attractive to those who are outside of the family of God because I'm living in alignment with God's best for me? Does the way that I live make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive? And may it be the case for our church that our church functions like a school of wisdom and courage where we train and challenge one another to grow in responsibility, to grow in authority, and to steward that authority for the flourishing of others and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be all that you've called us to be. We know that you love us completely as we are. We know that we are more flawed than we could possibly understand and more loved than we could dare, like possibly dream. We also know that you've you've given us this hard message. You've given us this invitation toward growth because you believe in us. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd send your spirit in very practical ways on our church, that we would be boys and girls growing into men and women. We're taking responsibility and seeking the kingdom and stewarding our resources and our influence for the flourishing of others and for the renewal of all things. Jesus, I pray that in any way that I've been in error, my my words will be corrected by your Spirit, and I pray that you'd guide us into all truth as you promised the Spirit is here to do. As we come and receive Holy Communion today and we meditate on the cross, we meditate on how Jesus' body was broken and blood spilled for us, I pray that you'd help us to to learn the gospel again, that any who would lay their life down will find it, but those who hoard it will lose it. In receiving Communion today, would you pour out your Spirit on us? Would you give us insight and vision to see ourselves as we are and ourselves as you're inviting us to be? Help us to be a community of people who carry our cross, who speak the truth and call one another to grow into maturity. Think of the words of Colossians 2. Since then, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught. Help us to be true of us, Lord Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone.